Tuesday, October 12th, but today is Tuesday, November the 9th. It is 9 a.m. and we are in the community wing of City Hall. Please rise and join me for the Pledge of Allegiance. Would uh, perform the roll call, please. Mayor David Alfin. Present. Vice Mayor Eddie Brinkino. Here. Councilmember Victor Barbosa. Here. Councilmember Ed Danko. Here. Councilmember Nick Klufus. Present. All are present on the dais. Thank you. Um, my opening comment the council meets in workshops to be well informed of each item to be brought before the City Council and to make the best determination on behalf of all city residents. City staff presents detailed information during the workshops and provides a summary background for each item. The City Council can then have a meaningful, collaborative, healthy discussion on each item presented. This way facts and knowledge can be obtained prior to the next business meeting where the City Council then makes the best determination in the interest of the citizens' health, safety, and welfare on each item. As we continue to grow as a collaborative council and follow all council meeting policies and procedures, I will always do my best to make sure that every city council member has an opportunity to bring forth individual opinions. Our constituents are expecting council to communicate cohesively and with the civility to serve our community. The workshops are a valuable tool to present and discuss our individual opinions on behalf of all residents to achieve these objectives. We may not agree with each other, but this is one advantage of the workshops, to evaluate all the information necessary in advance of a decision, a motion, and a vote at our next business meeting. I hope that we will all understand the purpose of these workshops, and I invite all opinions at all times on the dais. At this time, I would open the podium up for public participation. Are there members of the public that would like to speak at this time? Please come forward. Uh, Jim Potochik. Uh, just a quick comment. Uh, this morning we spent close to an hour with Carl Cote, him giving us an education on what it takes to make road changes. And he took a lot of dumb questions from me. I came away with a much better education. And Al Cryer, Dan Bryant, and myself thank him greatly. He's a fantastic guy. He spent some time with a bunch of novices, and that takes a lot. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other members of the public that would like to make comment at this time? Robert McDonald, Palm Coast. Uh, I've been coming to these meetings for a long time, and uh, I'm learning a lot. 
and that's good. But the one thing that I really am glad that I learned is that this city has two women who run this city very well. My only downfall is we don't have a woman sitting as the mayor because the two women that are basically run the city, uh, the acting city manager and Virginia Smith, if they were not running this city, we'd be in a place that we don't want to be. These two women, that's why they sit on the corners or the anchors to this city, because they run this city. And I'm very, very glad and proud to say that they're running this city. Not you guys. They keep this city running every day. Thank you for your comment. Any other members of the public? Good morning, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. I'm Mike Martin, and I'm here today to speak on behalf of the L section. Uh, the L section for a long time has kind of been treated as the red-haired stepchild of Palm Coast. We have not gotten the facilities sometimes that other neighborhoods have. For instance, we don't have a neighborhood park. I don't know why we don't have one, because the 2035 planning document that was created by the City Council's uh, commission in 2004 said that we should have a city park by either by 2009 or by 2014. Obviously, we don't have a city park. I'm not sure we can have a city park because there are so few parcels of vacant land in the L section. Uh, that may not be possible to fix. One thing you can fix, though, is we do not have a neighborhood sign. If you travel around Palm Coast, every single neighborhood in this city has a neighborhood sign. The L section, you won't see a Montanus Wood sign anywhere because there aren't any. From what I can figure out, the signs were taken down after the wildfires and for some reason never put back up. I did speak to Carl Cody, who's the stormwater supervisor. He told me, oh, we'll put it back after we widen Mentensitswood Parkway to four lanes. I don't think that's an adequate answer. We're proud of the L section. We pay our taxes like everybody else does, and I think we deserve the same recognition. So I'm asking you to take some action to put our neighborhood signs back. We used to have two. We had one on the intersection of US 1 and Batances Woods Parkway, and we had one at the intersection of Lake View Boulevard and Batances Woods Parkway. I'm sure it's not going to cost a fortune to put the signs back up, but it would be a recognition of th that we are a neighborhood just like every other neighborhood is. So I ask you to not wait a couple of years until the construction is finished because when they widen Lake Tansas, I'm sure they're going to widen it on the south side, not on the north side. There's no room on the north side. So I would ask you to please consider giving us our neighborhood signs back and letting us be proud and let people know when they come into Montanas Wood, that's the neighborhood they're coming into. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other members of the public that would like to address council at this time? Seeing no one coming forward, I will close public comment at this time. And we will begin with our <clears throat> presentations.
Good morning, Mayor, members of City Councils. Jose Papa for the Community Development Department in, in my capacity here today. I will be presenting to you uh, the redistricting, the findings of the redistricting commission. I just want to point out that Mr. Mike Martin, who just spoke, was the chair of that uh, committee. And uh, we're, he's here to answer any particular questions you might have. But what I'm going to do with my presentation is just basically give you the background basically run through the minutes of the meeting and what they accomplished and uh, present to you their alternative, recommended alternative for redistricting uh, the voting districts in the city of Palm Coast. Again, just to go through the background, we have four city council districts. Uh, the boundaries, uh, which have to be redrawn every ten, 10 years after the decennial census, remains in effect until the completion of the decennial census. And it's important to note, the most important thing is that those council district boundaries shall be based on the most, uh, based upon the population data derived from the most recent decennial census. So the most current and up-to-date census, which of course only happens every 10 years. So the chart, there are a couple of things within the charter regarding uh, the objectives of redistricting. One is that within 120 days after the appointment of a districting commission or such an earlier time, the commission shall file a report containing a recommended plan for the adjustment of those boundaries, <coughs> which is what we're doing today. We're essentially filing the report for your review. Importantly, more importantly, each district shall be compact, contiguous, and the boundary line shall follow center lines of natural and man-made separation, something you can identify where possible. Because probably the more, most important thing is that districts shall be divided upon the principle of equal and effective representation, which is of course uh, required by the U.S. Constitution and by the Charter. That is, you try to divide the city into council districts as equally as possible. So the Charter also requires that the city manager provide staff assistance and technical data to district and commission, and that was the role of staff through this process, where they are to provide assistance and technical data. Um, after completion of the district and commission's report meetings, they shall file a report that will be considered by this council as an ordinance. And there, there is something in the charter, too, that says the failure to enact an ordinance, then the report itself just automatically goes into effect, the recommended alternative. So looking at the background, based on the 2020 census, the city's total population is now at 89,258. So divided into four, the target population within each district is 22,314. In order to do our work, we provided a deviation of plus or minus two and a half percent, that is 558 persons within each district. Now, that, that's done because as uh, provided to us by legal counsel, a difference of five percent between the smallest district and the largest district is defendable. Anything beyond that will, will uh, have more scrutiny and will lead to more questions. So we gave ourselves that window of plus or minus 2.5%. That is, if the lowest district was five, 558 persons less than 22,314, and the biggest district was 
22,873 or 558 more than the target population, we know we'd still fall within that window of plus or minus uh, 5%. And so the acceptable range of population between in, within any district is somewhere between 21,757 and 22,873. And so looking at the 2020 population, we, we, uh, we mapped that out based on current districts to see where the populations are. And as you can see here, um, quite a few of the districts were below that ideal population. Uh, district one, two, and four, they range anywhere from being 2.4% to 6.7% less than the ideal population with District 3 having undergone really a tremendous growth here, being 15% above that uh, ideal population. Great district. <laughs> so we had to, uh, just based on the charter, those lines have to be redrawn to bring that population back into balance. And so what staff did initially was just to really provide um, the district and commission with three alternatives, just as a conversation starter, that they may use to uh, outline how we could divide the districts into, uh, in, into uh, territories that will meet the, the charter requirements, having that fair, balanced population, having identifiable boundaries um, based on the 2020 census. And so that's what alternative one, two, and three that, that was, were provided to them at their initial meeting of September, and they, they reviewed that. So, reviewing that their first meeting, uh, the Disciplining Commission did provide staff with some further direction. And uh, they essentially wanted to minimize the impacts of redistricting on the current council and anyone who might be filed or active in, in running for a future seat. Uh, the other direction that we received from the commission was to essentially create uh, a grid alternative. And, and that this is what, uh, from my description, this is what I thought that, count, that the commission provided us. Uh, an area bounded by Palm Coast Parkway in the north, I-95 to the east, the Walker Waterway to the south, and Beltair Parkway in the west, as part, bringing that as part of District 1, and an area which includes the double L section and Grand Landings as part of District 4. That grid alternative is, is going to be presented to you as Alternative 5, which they reviewed at their second uh, meeting. So this is Alternative 4, again, keeping a minimal disruption to the election cycle. And so that was presented to the District Commission at their second meeting. And again, I just want to point out that alternative four and five continues to meet the charter requirements of equal representation and keeping the boundaries on an identifiable man-made or natural-made feature. And so that's alternative four and then alternative five, which we mentioned, uh, we received direction to move, sorry, and that's uh, to move this area that I'm circle highlighting here with the, with the arrow 
keeping down District 1 and then moving this area here into District 4. So that was discussed by the Commission at their second meeting of October 13th. As part of all those alternatives, uh, we provided them with a summary of showing where, how each alternative uh, varies from, you know, the, the, the difference between the smallest and the, and the largest, and, and that was part of what was provided to them as part of their review. So just to cut to the chase, uh, after reviewing, at the second meeting, after reviewing alternatives four and five, the, the redistricting commission recommended that alternative four be the recommended alternative. And again, that's based on the following. It is consistent with the city charter, the principle of equal and effective representation. Each district falls within that plus or minus two and a half percent of the ideal population. There is contiguity. There is no enclave within any district. That is, we don't have a part of District 1 that's cut off from all the other, di from all the other districts. It's, it, there, each district has, is contiguous to itself. And compactness. Easily identifiable district. This one, of course, it's probably a little, uh, I wouldn't say it's debatable, but, it, you know, it, what's compact to one person might not be compact to another. We're a large city. We're 96 square miles. And uh, our population is growing. The challenge is there to provide that compactness, but uh, we still have some vacant, you know, a lot of large vacant areas, you know, especially like Graham Swamp in the middle of District 3, so it makes it look like it's sprawled out, but it's contiguous and it, it's really there as compact to the remainder of the district as much as possible. And then the other factors that they reviewed, again, alternative four provides the minimal disruption in the upcoming election cycle. Sitting council is made whole. Uh, all active or filed candidates are, are remain within their districts. <coughs> and finally, comparing alternative four to alternative five, alternative four has the smallest gap in population between the least populous and the most populous district. And so out of those all two alternatives, four and five, four provides that the smallest gap between uh, least populous and most populous. And so based on those factors, the district commission did recommend alternative four. And, uh, it, and so based on that, we've drafted an ordinance that will uh, recommend alternative four as the new districts, and that will be subject to public hearings. And as I mentioned, uh, Mr. Martin, the, the chair of the Districting Commission is here if you have any further questions regarding the findings. Jose, thank you for your presentation. Um, before City Council questions, I would just like to thank Mr. Martin. Um, I would also ask the uh, interim city manager if we can prepare a letter to thank each of the members of the uh, commission for the efforts that they put in to, to do this. I understand they had two lengthy meetings, um, and we appreciate their support. This redistricting process is one of the hidden mechanisms of governance that keeps our machine rolling forward. Not The public is not usually aware that these things go on. So I do want your committee members, your commission members, to, to know that we appreciate the work that they did, because these steps are so important to make sure that every resident 
has an equal voice in the government and beyond, and that the government serves all equally as best we can put together here. So appreciate that. Um, are there questions from city council members? Uh, I have a couple of questions. Yes, sir. Can I, I didn't see it in my packet. I don't know if you have it available. Can you get us detailed, a detailed map showing the streets and the districts? We, for yeah, both yes, alternatives? All, all the alternatives? Yes. We, we can provide the, I guess let me uh, clarify how, uh, how to fulfill this request. Um, you want a map of the five alternatives? Uh? Well, the two main ones, I guess, that okay, we're sure. discussing. We, yeah. I guess we can pro provide a blow-up of each of the districts in each of those. Right, yeah, where you see the streets and everything. Yes, sir. Yeah, because one of the things I've noticed online, we do have one now, but it's buried. It's hard to find. Yes, we got a real sloppy one that you can find easily that doesn't show you anything. So I also want to make sure that online we get one that's detailed because there is one there, but it's real hard to find for some reason, and it should be very easy to get to. And why we have one there that's kind of blurry doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Be nice just to get a clean one up when we're finally done with the process. But I would like to see both alternatives. Yes, sir. Thank you. Additional questions? Yes, I, it's, it's from Mr. Martin. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Martin. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this is a learning process to all of us, and I believe that was also a learning process to you. I don't know if you've done this in the past. Uh, <clears throat> what was your overall opinion about the process, and was there any disagreements, major disagreements, amongst the commissioners? Uh, no, there weren't. Of the first three plans that the staff, and I, and I want to praise Mr. Pop and the city staff, because they did a great job. They made our job easy. And the biggest issue we had with the first three plans, the city staff ensured that each of the city and council members would remain in their district. But we, the commissioners, did a little extra homework. We discovered there, there is an active candidate for the district two seat for the November 22nd election. And the boundaries of all three of the alternatives one, two, and three would have removed him from District 2. So all of the commissioners, we wanted to make sure that we were not going to remove an active candidate because he's already filed. You can find his information on the Supervisor of Elections website. We want to make sure that we didn't do what happened in 2011 when the previous redistricting commission deliberately removed an active candidate from the seat that he was running for, and by changing him out of the district, he was no longer eligible to run. We did not want to do that. We didn't want to be political. We wanted to make sure that decisions we made were totally objective and were the best for the city and for the citizens. So that's the reason that we asked Mr. Pop and the staff to provide us with two additional alternatives that would keep this active candidate in his district. And then the other well, of course, we were concerned that we do things strictly legally. We didn't want to have any problems with anybody filing a lawsuit claiming, well, you know, look, you've drawn this torturous district to try to connect this neighborhood with this neighborhood. You know, I, I've lived in Maryland, and I've seen that gerrymandering take place, and we were, all of us were positive that we're not going to allow this to happen. So we were all pretty much agreed on 
keeping things contiguous, making sure the boundaries were easily recognizable. And in my opinion, the only uh, boundary that is a little troublesome is the the area that we had to move off of Pantanzas Woods Parkway to include this active candidate to be included in District 2 that he's already filed for. We wanted to make sure that the boundaries were, that were recognizable. We, un we understood that where people were going to be moved out of the district they were in, they might have to change or their polling places because they would be in another district. We wanted to try to keep that to a minimum as well. But basically we wanted to make sure that we gave the best possible alternative to the council so that it's in well, the reason that we unanimously voted for option four is because it produces the least spread. It's a three and a half percent spread from the largest council district to the smallest. And alternative five is a 4.4 percent difference. So we thought that option four provides the smallest amount. It also, even though this is not required, it if you look at option four, it takes District 1, which has a lot of development coming into it, and I, I'm sure you all know that, it reduces it, it makes it below the average, so it provides the largest amount of growth in District 1 to try to keep that district under the Constitution guidelines of one person, one vote for as long as possible. I'm sure that by 2030, the new census in 2030, everything will be, you know, all changed again, but we're trying to keep things as close as we can to what the Supreme Court decisions and the Constitution and the city charter said. So there really wasn't any disagreement in our, our second meeting when we focused on alternative four and alternative five. Uh, it was pretty easy to choose alternative four. You answered all of them. I, all the questions I had, you answered them all. Of them. Thank and, you. And I just want to thank you for appointing us. It was, it, it's an honor to serve the city. And it's also very important because, as Mayor often said, a lot of people don't realize this. We actually had nobody show up at either meeting, which is rather disappointing. But we took the responsibility as a very, very serious one because this is what democracy is all about. It's ensuring that everybody's vote is as close to equal as we can make it. So it was definitely an honor. I speak for the other four commissioners as well. And I thank, thank you for that, sir. Uh, I would just like to add, um, I had a retroactive meeting uh, to, to discuss the outcomes of, of your meetings and the staff was prioritized as being incredibly helpful. And what I understand is the entire commission body worked in tandem and this wasn't any one individual trying to push anything uh, their certain way. I'm, I'm proud of how not only the commission act, but how they interacted with our city staff to be able to come back and get something finalized in, in two meetings is awesome. And I heard nothing but positivity come out of uh, at least the peer that I reviewed. So congratulations and thank you for uh, stepping up to the plate. Thank you. I just want to read it. The city staff is awesome. They really are. Oh, we know that. Thank you, Mr. Martin. They are. Other questions at this time? I have, I have a question, <clears throat> not related, no, thank you, <clears throat> for Mr. Papa and, and perhaps for the city attorney. The trigger in our charter for redistricting is the um, census, yes, which won't, we won't see again for what, 10 years? Yes, sir. Regarding, that troubles me because the central population, the center of population in the city of Palm Coast is going to move. There's no question about it. I do understand that we have to use existing rooftops voters today. We can't predict or, or presume. But I am troubled by the 10-year um, the 
window for the future. Um, Mr. Martin was optimistic about 2030. Uh, I believe the center population will move well before then. Um, the question I have, perhaps for the city attorney, is regarding the ordinance. Is it possible to trigger a, um, um, a, a look at the uh, um, redistricting in advance of the next census? Or I'm not familiar with the language in the, in the ordinance. You would not put that in this particular legislation in this ordinance, and you would not need to put it in this because it is provided for actually in your charter. Just a different section, instead of Article 9, you would look at Article 8, City Council District Boundaries, and it creates a, a distinction in the process. What we're going through right now is the mandatory process, Mayor, which the, the, your, <coughs> your, your charter mandates that after the decennial census, the, the, the council must appoint a district, districting commission and must make sure that the boundaries contain four districts that have as much as possible equal population. But your, your charter also says, and I'm going to read this, in addition, city council may, at its discretion, adjust the districts provided that any such adjustment will not take place less than one year before an election. So it gives the, any future council between now, 2021, and some other date, the next time we'll have to revisit this, um, there will most likely be different people sitting at this dais and um, we'll have a different decennial census. And likely there will be need to go through this process again where we change the boundaries of the districts. You don't have to wait that, that long. But I would, I would caution in general, the thing you need to be careful about is that the same constitutional standards will apply. And one of the, one of the things that makes it easier for each local government at this stage is that we have the benefit of the results of an official census. Correct. In other words, we know who lives where and so that we can divide and create these boundaries. If we say do this in six years, we're going to have to make sure that we have the, 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 the statistics that can be backed up to, to potentially push back against a challenge. And the, thing, the most important thing that all of the cases say and that your charter recognizes is one person, one vote. And that has been achieved by this process, as has been stated today, where we have fully complied in this. this I would, I would fur, further compliment uh, the staff and, and this, this committee by creating an alternative, this alternative four, which, which complies with that requirement fully. And that's the, that's the one thing that you can really get in trouble with if you don't comply with that. So that would be my only word of caution. Very good. That, that, that's a complete answer. I appreciate that, and I feel comfortable that we have the mechanism in place, but uh, we have to be uh, thorough and careful of future challenges, I understand. Um, Mr. Papa, I would ask you, those um, voters that have changed district, is there a plan to inform them or to advise them that their district has changed? We don't have a plan to inform them. So I would change my question then for the interim city manager to think about some way to, to broadcast to promote this so that those people would become aware that uh, there's been a change in their status regarding uh, voting district. One suggestion, Mr. Mayor, and that would be, um, and, and I don't know exactly what has happened in the past, but it is possible, and, and, and this is something we can look into, and, and get you an answer. It is possible that there can be coordination between 
the city, possibly the city clerk's office, and the supervisor of elections uh, to, to make sure that at the very least before the next municipal election, there is clarification to, to your point to those folks that are used to, at least for the last 10 years, to have voted at a certain location for a certain district and that is going to be changed. And I would imagine that the supervisor can be, provide tremendous assistance to the city and the city clerk's office uh, to try to keep that in, get that information out. Good. But even though for the voting purposes, it will make no difference because we're all at large. But a voting purpose specifically would make no difference to any one of us uh, because we all run at large. Now, it does make it when you're running, then let's say you have to get a few more signatures. There's that's, a residential requirement that that that's, that, basically, that's the main difference. That's the main difference. Right. Yes, sir. Because that that per, voting per se makes no difference. Okay. Very good. Well, um, I think you can understand that we feel this is very important because we, we've asked all the questions I think we can, but I, we appreciate the information and the feedback. Very good. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. Moving on to our next presentation, um, a resolution. Mr. Papa again, I think. CDBG again every year. Here we go. Yes, sir. So again, good morning again. And, and this item is uh, something we do annually. Uh, as you know, we receive uh, an allocation from the federal government for our community development block grant program. And what I'd like to do with this presentation is just give you a background on what we do with those funds. And as required by receiving those funds, we are to uh, complete an annual report, which is what I'm going to present. And with that annual report, we will then which will then be filed with HUD, the federal government. So as part of receiving funding for community development block grant program, we are required to complete an annual report. And the annual report covers, of course, the fiscal period that, that's just passed. That is from, in this case, from October 1st, 2020 to September 30th, 2021. And the purpose of this annual report is to describe the activities that were completed using CDBG funds. And as part of this report, it provides an update on the city's progress in complete implementing CDBG programs and those activities which are identified in our consolidated and annual action plan. <clears throat> if you remember in the summer, uh, about the May or, I'm sorry, the June or July timeframe, staff presented to you the annual action plan for CDBG, which tells you the, the activities that we intend to, un, uh, to complete in the upcoming fiscal year. So this, for this particular one, the action report would have been presented last year. But let me just go through very quickly to um, our accomplishments in the past year. So CDBG funds continue to main really three main uh, activities. Housing rehabilitation, including its administration, and public services, in this case, our summer camp program with recreation parks. Uh, in the past year, we did receive an, a special allocation called CDBG CV funds, and that was, those were funds directly allocated by the federal government to address the impacts of COVID. And if you remember, we provided an action plan that, in, that stated we will use those funds for a utility assistance program. That is, uh, 
provide uh, customers of, the util of utilities who meet the low moderate income threshold and to help them pay their utilities. Or, and, and the other part of that is that they've been impacted by COVID. That is, they've lost their job because of uh, the pandemic or, or um, suffering economically because of the pandemic. And using the allocation from CDBG to assist them to pay their utilities for six months. And of course, a portion of the CDBG funds may also be used for general planning administration. Staff time, ads for meetings, public outreach, those types of things. So for fiscal year, it's federal fiscal year 2020, but fiscal year 2021, the, the accomplishments are as follows. For housing rehab, we completed approximately 22 homes over the past year at an expenditure of about $915,000. Uh, that's by the end of fiscal, for the federal fiscal year 2020. Uh, the challenges that we had in, in providing those accomplishments, as you can well guess, is the rising cost of construction materials, the dearth of labor that uh, some of our contractors are facing, and going back again, probably more importantly, the, the scarcity or, or the difficulty in, in finding construction materials, doors, windows, uh, wood, in order to complete those rehabs. But we were still able to complete 22 homes, uh, again, with an expenditure of uh, 915,000, and that includes the administration of, of that program. For youth activities, our summer camp program, we were able to serve 73 students, and what, what we're able to do with CDBG funds is to provide essentially a scholarship for a qualified student to attend summer camp, the city summer camp, and that's at a cost of about 41,000. And I mentioned to you the utility assistance program where we were able to assist uh, households that have been impacted by COVID and, but also met the low moderate income threshold provided by the CDBG program. So we were able to assist about 292 families, uh, 292,915 what was spent in, uh, for this program with about 70,000 for administration. There's still a balance of about 5,000 that will be moved to a, a grant program that will be made available to, um, to nonprofits and local, uh, local service providers in, in, in Flagler County. And finally, for the general administration CDB program, again, this is staff time, ads, um, any requirement that reporting requirements that we need to provide to HUD that's at a cost of uh, 20,000. We're allowed to use up to 20% of our allocation. Uh, from, you know, so we use typically less than you know, two or 3% of our allocation for, for gen general admin. And finally, for, uh, just to summarize the annual report, um, we, our expenditures over the past year using CDBG funds was $1.2 million. And that's through a combination of the housing program, the public service, youth activities, the utility assistance, and administration. So currently, uh, we've started a new cycle of, of the housing rehab program. We've have, we have 11 homes that are under contract right now, 10 waiting for bids. Actually, the bids just came in yesterday. It's, uh, it just shows you how dy dynamic this program is when 
So the, those 10 waiting for bids, the bids have come in. And uh, as approved by, at the last uh, annual action plan, we have a first-time home buyer program that is, uh, we're going to provide assistance for those who qualify as a first-time home buyer with either closing or down payment in order to purchase a home. And that's just pending the funding agreement with HUD. And of course, uh, we're, we intend to move forward with the public service grant program, and that's to be made available to nonprofits and other service providers within the community. So this report was presented and reviewed by the Citizens Advisory Task Force, Task Force at a public hearing on October 27, 2021. And at that time, they did recommend that City Council approve this annual report. And I'm here to answer any additional questions. Questions from City Council? No, just our balance right now is about five grand, $5,117. Yes, sir. That's what was left over from the allocation that was to be used for the utility assistance. So uh, that will be made available with uh, that grant program that we're going to. What are we expecting to get for next uh, uh, for For this upcoming year, I believe it's uh, 480000 and change, uh, Councilman. Thank you. That was my question. Um, Additional how many, questions? How many people of the public uh, came to the hearing? I would say zero. Questions? Uh, Mr. Papa, just so I'm clear, the, the money that you would transfer to a not-for-profit grant-type program is how much? It's about $5,000. About $5,000. Yes, okay. Um, and then the other question I have, <clears throat> in years past, there have been additional, there's been a, a different focus on some of the spending or allocation of the funds. Historically, I think part of Seminole, Seminole Woods uh, sidewalk, if I remember correctly, was actually built with these funds. Is it the, the current task force decision to focus on the individual homeowners and rehabs? Is that, or were they not offered a project? Well, the, the approved annual action plan, which was approved uh, in August, the focus will be on the housing rehab, the first-time home buyers program, uh, and public service, which is uh, to fund our uh, summer camp, the city's summer camp program. And, and there's still a little bit left over that will be used also for uh, the, the public service grant program and, of course, administration. So, yes, there is no, you, you asked about, I guess the question was infrastructure. It's not in the upcoming annual action. And, and the only reason I ask is that in the future, I just want to make sure that, that your committee is aware of the opportunities or options. In other words, I don't want them to feel they're limited just because the prior budget only had a certain number of line items. There are, there, there are other possibilities for the, uh, for the program. Yes, sir. We will continue to make that clear that with our presentation that uh, CDBG funds are there to fund also within qualified areas. Like it can fund infrastructure projects, but it has to be within a qualified area. That is, it has to meet the requirements of a low-moderate income census tract, and it must serve, uh, the, well, the residents within that area. And it has to be a benefit that would be specific to that. Um, a road that runs the entire length of the city but runs through a, a low moderate income census tract 
would likely not qualify for CDBG funds. Very good. Thank you. Uh, very good report. We appreciate that. Uh, last, last call for questions? No. Thank you. All right. Moving forward to uh, presentation number three, a resolution. Council, Carl Cody, Director of Stormwater Engineering Department. I have a presentation here today to speak regarding the Waterfront Park facility. As you heard at a previous Council meeting, our fine Flagler County representative on the fine board, Rainy Stapleford, announced that we were awarded uh, a grant for part two of our proposed improvements at the park. Today's item is really here to bring that formal grant to you for approval and authority to, to move forward with execution with, with the grant itself. Um, Fines, we've been very successful in the past on various projects throughout the city to receive grants on a, a number of our facilities over time. Uh, this slide here just highlights you know, some of those improvements in the various facilities where we, we've had opportunity to use those fine grant dollars. You know, Waterfront Park itself is, is a, a great asset to the city. It's, a, it's got a lot of connection community-wide, either through the trail system or people that utilize the facility for, for various um, uses. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very successful, lot, very active park. Um, you can see here along our intercoastal waterway, there are other access points. Um, they're not all city facilities, but this just shows the other locations along the intercoastal where there is access uh, to the water. This slide here just kind of outlines the, the history of Waterfront Park. You know, back in 2005, the city received a, a grant for the design of the, the park. And then in 08, we received some dollars to help fund some of the water elements, associated elements of the park. And last year, we received uh, part one of the grant. The fine does allow a multi-year grant award. You have to reapply each year. There's no, um, I guess, there's, there's no, you can apply all three years. You may not get all three years grants, but they do allow you to split up the project over three years for a larger scale project or a smaller community within the, the find uh, boundary limit. And Flagler County is one of those smaller communities. There's less revenue generated because the, the grants available are based on how much revenue is, is created within your county and those dollars are then allocated to projects within the county. So we are on, on year two. We've been successful. We were rewarded dollars for, for part two. Um, what does the project entail? And just to, to refresh everyone's memory, there's really, we broke it down into three parts. It's really gonna be done in one construction project. Uh, phase A, we broke down into the dredging site work, um, concrete, shoreline stabilization, and dock installation. And you can see the grant request add up to about over $500,000 and the city match is, is a little bit more than that. So roughly our estimated project cost is about $1.1 million project. And then we have a future phase, which will be uh, another round of, of grant that we go after to expand parking um, for, to, for, to serve the, the improvement. 
Uh, Carl, may I, just let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. What is this Coquina uh, revetment or rivetment? Re revetment. Along the shoreline, you can see in the aerial photo here, there's Coquina stone to oh, okay. help protect from the erosion from the intercoastal, the boats, the wave action, um, the tidal movements. It, it helps protect. Rather than have a sheet pile seawall, we use coquina. It's more natural. It allows. It's more environmentally friendly. There's, there's a lot of benefits to doing it that way. Thank you. You can see phase A is is shown there, and then phase B, you know, is is more inland for the parking. This here is a a kind of a site plan that shows those improvements in yellow. And you know, phase A is really at the channel where the the there's a, already a cut there. We'll be doing some dredging. We'll be adding the dock and and access into the water. And then B is the additional parking. It's more of a, the original cleared area of the site. There used to be a service dirt road that went through there. Um, so we kind of tried to filter that and fit that in around the trees that are on site. So this is just a blow up of phase A. And you can see that the three part grant, part one, part two, and part three. Um, last year's grant was you know 146,000 this year's grant is 211,250 dollars and then uh, we'll, next year will be or in the spring of 23 we'll apply for the part three of the grant that just shows the location of that so just timing of the project you know we started in 2020 um, this year we're at the final stages of having a set of construction plans uh, and bid documents put together so we can go out to bid for construction. So our goal here is beginning of 23 to, to move forward with the construction process for bidding and, and then a, grant, uh, a contract award for construction. And we'd also be seeking a grant for part three of the project. And, you know, obviously safety and, you know, public awareness, you know, the intercoastal waterway is, is an active waterway. So, you know, as part of the project, we're going to be having some kiosks that are already on site with manatee and other items, um, educational material. We'll, we'll be incorporating this in the, in the property just to help the user stay safe and be aware and, and just um, have that information at hand. Keep everybody safe. Again, that... So that, that's all I have for you today. It's just good news. You know, we have the grant. It's just to move forward with, you know, executing the grant and uh, being able to move forward and, and with the project. Well, the city still has to, uh, uh, you know, match about $700,000 for this project, isn't it? Yeah. The, there's Most items are eligible. Typically, the fine eligible elements are 50% match. So they fund half, we fund half. There are some items that are ineligible if they don't consider it um, a water access related amenity or item. They don't fund that portion of the project. But almost the entire project is eligible. Um, obviously, there's some limited funds available. Last year, there's other projects we were competing against. The dollars were split between us and the county. Um, so based on the dollars available, and when bids come in, we'll really know what our true city cost would be. But it, it is going to be a little bit more than 50% correct. And uh, uh, part one, we are already being granted about $146,000. Correct. Part two, have we requested it yet? Yeah, or? part two is what's before you today. $211,250 is what they're awarding in the grant that we'd execute. And let's say, you, uh, what's, your, what's the pro uh, probabilities that we get the full grant? on this uh, part two? 
Well, we have the grant on part two. Oh, we we, we have those them. dollars. It would be part three that's not certain yet. We're going to apply for part three, but the board, depending, would make that determination whether they award part three. I, I was a little confused because it says a grant request only. He didn't say that. With the right. We requested it this year. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. and it's before you for final execution. That was my uh, doubt. Thank you. Okay. Question? Um, I'd, first, I'd just like to say I think we have an incredible resource with Randy at, at the uh, Florida Inland Navigation District. He's always been uh, tremendous in my interactions with him, and I'm glad that we're able to move forward with these type of projects. I do think part two is incredibly critical because if you have a bunch of people launching boats, you need somewhere to be able to put the trucks with the trailers, uh, and I'm hopeful that uh, part three can be a continuation of our success here. So this is a beautiful city amenity, and uh, I frequent this. The walking path is amazing, um, and I think this is only going to make it even brighter. Okay. Questions? No questions. questions. Um, I, I have a couple of questions. So, this is this is a, a workshop as I uh, prefaced uh, the meeting today. So, I am in favor of of the uh, the request. But going back in time, can you help me understand what drove this location to be the grant request? The this is the city's only access, direct access to the intercoastal waterway. Um, you have to show some connectivity. You can see in the past we did get some grant dollars at Long Creek. Um, so we were able to, for the kayak launch and then the, the access on the waterway, um, they helped assist in the funding of the, the pier that's there as well. Um, so there's, we have very limited opportunity because we have to have that connection to the intercoastal waterway. So there, right now the city only has two properties where we could seek dollars, Waterfront Park and Long Creek. For, for funding. So so these are in essence water dollars. Yeah, they're water dollars. Water, and not not driven by use or predicted future use because it would seem to me there is great opportunity here to increase the usage of the park. I don't know what the numbers are. Um, Councilman Clufus, I'm sure there are others that, that use it, but I don't, I'm not aware of it. But I assume that with the with the expansion, more people will be able to use it in the future if it's promoted well. C correct. Okay. And then one other question I had was, I see you're going to service a kayak uh, uh, launch, and I, I believe, is there a row team that is going to launch there as well? Yes. The, the, the design accommodates all types of vessels, whether it's canoes, kayaks, crew boats. It, it's, it's there for a multi-purpose, multi-use um, amenity. Okay, so there was some discussion back in time regarding the width of the waterway and safety zones which had been legislated or changed by the state regarding um, auto stops, I think, on, on motorized craft. Are you familiar with any of that discussion? Yes, when we presented in, in July to the fine board, that was one of the reasons why we added that last slide about safety. Um, there's an educational purpose. Obviously, you're not going to be holding the, the crew races for the, the crew boats out in the intercoastal waterway and whatnot, but for recreational amenity, as long as you're, you're going from point A to point B or, or specific type uses like that, it's acceptable. Um, you know, we're obviously, if it becomes an issue with us, you know, we're, our first point is obviously educate the public. That's our first step is so they're using the waterway correctly so we don't have those issues or concerns out there and, and they're using it properly. So if the, that signage doesn't work, then we're going to have to take that educational awareness to the next level uh, to help, you know, 
make well, it safe I, for everybody. And I'd like to see you take that educational awareness to the first level up front in advance of, of use, which I know is down the road a bit, but to prevent any possible, you know, accidental use of, of the waterway. So who would point of contact be with the city um, regarding these clubs that will use it for uh, crew or for kayaking or whatever? Right. It would, we... Um it would be our recreation, you know, Parks and Rec Department, and we have some of the clubs, like the crew, the local crew club, and we'll be okay. definitely reaching out through them, probably through our, our network, correct? Very good. All right. Appreciate your efforts in this. Any other questions? I, I would mention that the parking lot is always full if that's any type of measurement uh, of usage, so I'm excited about the additional parking, too. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Show off. Yeah. <laughs> All right, move, moving along with uh, the agenda, we uh, will open up for uh, public participation. Are there any members of the public that would like to make comment at this time on um, items not previously discussed? Seeing none, I will close public participation. And I will move to discussion by City Council of matters not on the agenda. Um, I agree with uh, Commissioner Meyer and what he said about the signs. If they were there before, we should put look into put them uh, back on there. And uh, also about the park, uh, it's quite a bit, uh, a lot of residents in the L section not to have a park. Um, also, <clears throat> we have the, the task of a city manager, and we also have a task of uh, the garbage company. So um, I think, you know, one of the biggest main things that city managers get in trouble with is the garbage. <laughs> so I think we should leave the task of picking the garbage uh, company to the new city manager. That's about it. Um, I also agree on the L section signs. I, I, think, uh, I think we do need to take a look at that and see how quickly we can get those signs up. Um, park would be nice too. I agree with that. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to bring up is we had discussed in the past about having live cameras uh, during workshops so people could watch. I'm just wondering where we're at with that. Thank you. Comments? Sure. Uh, first, thank you very much to my fellow council members for allowing me to participate remotely. Um, I am now a nephew. Uh, I have a niece. I'm an uncle for the third time, which is an amazing thing. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. Um, the Matanzas Wood signs, I, I think, are... Um, kind of analogous to one of our uh, goals that I had brought forward for a strategic action plan of being able to make them artsy and really have like a community driven design to them where, um, you know, get people involved so that it's not only just a Matanzas Wood sign, but it's our Matanzas Wood sign, have some type of local integration there. Um, also an extended thank you to our uh, fire department for the incredible uh, Hall of Terror that they put on. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get to attend this year, but I wanted to say thank you. And also that I'm looking forward to our upcoming uh, Veterans Day event. Uh, and thank you guys again for allowing me to participate remotely. Uh, I'm pretty sure with the signs for the L section, I also agree with it. Because unless they made out of gold, they couldn't cost that much to the city anyway. And I don't think that's the case. Um, I'd just like to remind people out there that uh, uh, Thursday, Veterans Day, come and join us. Come and join us. It's very important. They gave their all. We should give at least an hour or two to spend with them. So it's let's remember the veterans. Okay, 
and I'm hoping to be there unless my back goes even worse, but uh, uh, I'm hoping to be there. And the other thing I agree with Councilman uh, 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 Danko regarding the live cameras. Uh, at least when the live cameras are here, I could count the time I spend on my phone texting. That's one good thing about the live cameras. Uh, we used to, uh, and I don't know if we're going to go back to once we're done with this, uh, you, know, uh, you know, problem that we have with COVID, I don't know if we go back where we used to be at, which is, uh, of course, saving just the little part of that. Because a lot of people don't come to these uh, workshops. It makes absolute no sense, in my opinion, to have this whole big thing. Okay, open, especially with air conditioning and heating. We could just do what we were doing before. Gives us, brings us closer, and uh, we right there next to each other, because uh, uh, basically there's no public. I think that as soon as we can, we should go back to the way we were. But then again, it's just, just my opinion. Uh, we should go back to the way we were. Thank you. Very good. Um, <clears throat> Since we're talking about uh, newborns, congratulations again. And I just want to make note that we have our director of uh, parks and recreation uh, attending the meetings now after a, a much missed absence. So welcome back, Lauren Johnston, uh, and congratulations to you as well. Um, I would just make note um, and thank you, uh, Vice Mayor Brancino. Let me just add some detail to the Veterans Day and go on the record. Flagler County and the city of Palm Coast are coming together to honor our veterans for Veterans Day. So please join us, obviously, on November 11th from 10 to 11 at the Government Service Building for a Veterans Day ceremony. The special guest speaker will be Mr. Randall Scott Morris, a U.S. Army veteran who served in the Vietnam War and who is also past president of the Flago chapter of the Sons of the American Revolutionary War. Following the ceremony, this is where it gets good, veterans and their, gets better, veterans and their families are welcome to join the city of Palm Coast at Central Park in town center from 11.30 to one for a barbecue luncheon. The luncheon is free, the luncheon is free for veterans and their families, but it is ticketed and requires a pre-registration. Veterans can pre-register at the Palm Coast Community Center or call 386-986-2323. And with the voice also of Mr. Vice Mayor Branchino, we honor our veterans. These are the people that have allowed me to go to sleep at night, waking up knowing that I would be safe in the morning. So I voice what he said. Please show your appreciation. Everybody in this room, everybody that pays attention to this stream, and everybody in the city knows a veteran, take a moment and say thank you. That concludes uh, city council comments. Um, does the city attorney have comments for today? No, Mayor. Does the city manager have comments for today? No, I don't. Thank you, Mayor. I, I can respond. I believe Councilmember Danko did have a question about the live streaming. So our next three meetings will be live video streamed because the nature of the meetings, business meeting, special business meeting. And um, December 14th is the next workshop. Uh, we do have that capability of live streaming as we do in business meetings from, for the dais. Um, I would like to note um, as part of this discussion, if we do return to the floor environment for workshops, we do have some technology challenges in that front. 
but I just wanted to share that information um, for council's benefit today. Um, if I if I may, I um, I am in support of moving back to the tighter uh, sitting arrangement we had back there. During workshops, it really helps to be able to like talk to people. When I when I talk to Councilman Danko or Councilman Barbosa, I'm talking through like four pieces of plexiglass right now, and uh, just makes it a little <laughs> less. Uh, you know, we're not we're not working as closely together as we could, and uh, I think that's a great idea. So I support that, but it's up to our as a body. So what, what would what do we need to change that? So returning back to the floor workshop um, arrangement, um, we would have to look at the the sound quality and video quality because, um, as already mentioned, the partitions that would come up would impede that video streaming opportunity. So that's a consideration we're working through. Unless we could add another camera. Or turn, oh no, no you can't, no. I just see that. I just had a question. Having not done a workshop there, when you said petitions, what do you mean? Sure, so this room is set up to divi have dividers, right? False walls, and if you would look back in the corner, that would be generally where the room would be partitioned. Okay. You could see the partition right there. All right. That, that so, door, and it, you uh, could open it, and it's got a door. Got it. I, I've never a, noticed before. Yeah. That's what I, I do have a question. If we didn't partition it, can we swing these cameras? Um, I'm going to ask Doug Akins just to come up for just a minute. He's been running point on the technology and how we can best make sure we have quality meetings with and these options. While, while Doug is approaching the dais, um, just a question on your comment. And I think the question was, how, do we, how does city council make a decision to move back to the floor? I'm not sure how that actually happens. Well, the, just for, for context and for history, uh, for most of the most of well, the majority of the time that I've been with representing the city here, uh, the workshops had been held separated back in that room. It was with the uh, unfortunate uh, advent of, of COVID, the, the, a prior council felt that it was important for for everyone's health, including those that wanted to to come and and and, and, uh, and visit and, and hear the council to allow a larger room for so we could have separation as you can see we've been able to accomplish that um, when you divide the, this building this room excuse me and you and you have um, the the workshops in that smaller we've had meetings where you do have a lot of people show up other than just the council and staff and in that situation it's if for everyone to be there, it's just not possible to have the social distancing. So from a procedural standpoint, it's just a matter of this council directing staff to set up that room so that we go back to the workshops the way they were held. It's really, a, I'm sharing the background so you know what precipitated it for purposes of discussion. You know, are we ready to go back to, to that? Given that there are times where we have a lot of people there and it's gonna be elbow to elbow. And um, and that's fine, but um, that but that's, here, you can see that, that even when we have more people, there's a lot more room for, for distancing. But that was the reason. And I guess I should have asked my question, phrased it a little differently. So we're currently operating up here under some form of a COVID protocol, I would guess. So how does that end if we choose to end that? I do not, I'm not specifically aware of, of the formality um, that was adopted at the time that we made that decision. I would have to review that. I don't believe it was 
done with a resolution or anything like that. I think it was just a direction that this council gave to staff uh, to set it up in this manner uh, in a common sense way. Um, so I don't believe it's going to require any, any follow-up uh, legislation in the form of a resolution. It would just be, again, direction to, to staff to, um, to, to move a future workshop at some point in time back to that type of format. Yes, uh, it was, I'm sorry, it was proposed by the then uh, city manager for us to move over here. That was not even a vote in that. And the partitions were my request, and it was obliged. We didn't even have to go into that. I, I requested it, and uh, uh, we, uh, Mr. Jason DeLorenzi actually took that task, and we were able to install this, which I think at the time made a lot of sense, and it's becoming more and more less important right now. But we still up there, we still have to be careful because there are still people out there dying of COVID. Uh, thank God we're doing very decently here in, uh, in Flagler, but that was the reason that we did this. As you know, we're easing it up. We are no longer wearing masks. And this was one of the reasons why I came up with ideas. So we did not have to wear masks. We still wore them, okay? But uh, uh, this was the reason why. When we feel that's no need for it, then if anybody doesn't like it next to him, I says, listen, I don't want it next to me, okay? I want my two here. That, that was. Thank you. Um, so I would ask uh, the interim city manager to bring forward a, um, uh, a presentation based on a consensus conversation today on I think you have to sorry we brought you up there um, um, what we can do how we can expedite um, returning to a safe meeting based on the comments that you heard today do you, do you have enough to go on I appreciate the discussion City Council and yes mayor I, <clears throat> I think we have enough guidance to move forward I, I did have one question. If we don't do the partition, can you swing those cameras and make them work? With it open, yes, we can. You can. So The issue comes in with the audio, though. So and when, the, when the partitions are open, we get feedback because it's not designed to, to work mm -hmm. that way, so we have to work those issues. So in, in the past, and this is just a question because I wasn't here, when we were over there, did we have live audio streaming? Yes. So that should be something you should be able to set up, right, again? We can, but with it open, it causes feedback. It was designed to be shut with the audio streaming. So we have to work that's out that to have it open with the cameras and the audio. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Because maybe that might save us some expense not having to put in new cameras. That so makes no sense going back there if we're going to leave it open. If we're doing fine over here, if, we, if we're not going to close that in order to create the, the ambience and save air conditioning and heat and all of that, then no sense. Let's do it here. Okay. Well, and again, I, I haven't done one before, so that's why I'm asking I love the these moment. questions. And I uh, think we, it's become so personal. Yeah. It's, I, I loved it. I loved it. And the audio uh, difficulties, we, don't ha we didn't have microphones on the table over there, so I anticipate that's a large reason that the audio works here very clearly, but uh, we didn't have them on the table back there. So again, to, to satisfy each of the comments, I'll ask the interim city manager to come back with a, with a presentation that makes the most sense for staff, for us, and for the safety of the public. Okay. And with that, I would ask for a motion to adjourn. adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Okay. Second, third, Thank morning. you all. Oh, you think DB6 will do? <laughs> <laughs>